Hebrews 11 is where we are this morning again. This is that great chapter of gospel faith, showing it embodied in the real lives of Old Testament saints. And this morning, Abraham is the one that we'll take a look at. You can turn to page 6 in your bulletin, or if you have a Bible, you can certainly open it to Hebrews 11. And for you young theologians, as you listen along here, Abraham is a character that you certainly know of. He's one of those more famous characters names in scripture and he by faith had set his gaze upon something he was looking to something as you listen to this passage what was it what was it that Abraham had set his gaze upon what was he looking upon this is what the writer to the Hebrews says starting in verse 1 I'll read verse 1 and 2 and then we'll skip down to verse 8 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, They would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named." He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but these words of our God will stand forever. O Lord, we pray together that you would give us your spirit. And we acknowledge together that apart from the work of your spirit, these will just be words on paper to us. Would you... Cause it to be not so. Would you give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear your gospel? Lord, would you persuade us by the work of your Spirit of the truth of your good news for us and change us. Make us new even yet again today. We pray you would do these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, I read an article by a journalist who had a special interest. I think it must have been in a regional publication like Texas Highways or something like that. He had a special interest in writing about the agrarian and ranching culture of our 
nation and, and its decline, its changing shape uh, in, as it grows into modernity. And he went to visit a rancher. Maybe it was in West Texas or somewhere else. But he went to visit a, a rancher who had herds of animals, including sheep. And he went out overnight to camp out with this rancher in the pastures with the sheep uh, and or on the fields, the plains, wherever it was that he was. And and over the course of the night, they built a campfire and, and sat there around the fire together, and he conducted his interview with the sheep. Hundreds, thousands of them scattered all around them there in the, in the fields, and he conducted his interview. And as they would talk, every now and then he would hear, off in the distance, the howl of coyotes out on the plains. And after that happened a few times, he realized that every time it happened, the rancher had a habit. Maybe he wasn't even thinking about it, but he had a habit. Every time the coyotes would howl out in the darkness, the rancher would take a log and put it on the fire. And every time he did that, the fire would blaze up, and he would notice out in the darkness thousands of glowing beady eyes turning to look at the fire, the sheep turning to look at the fire that their rancher had built there in their midst. Every time the coyotes would howl, the rancher would put a log on the fire because he wanted to set the gaze of his sheep on the one who was with them. The writer to the Hebrews throws a log in the fire. So these Jewish Christians in Rome are surrounded by circumstances that are causing them great worry and stress. And so he writes to them this letter, and he throws a log on the fire. He wants to set their gaze back on the one who is with them. So he writes this letter, and and he explains to them this great exposition of who Jesus is. This is, as I've said before, this letter to the Hebrews is one of the greatest and most complete expositions of the person of Christ in Scripture. And he explains to them that Jesus is greater than. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the Old Testament priests. Every time he's throwing a log on the fire so that his Hebrew Christian friends would turn their eyes towards the one who is with them despite the sounds of danger that they hear around them. Jesus is greater than all of those things to which you would want to turn. And he says to them, even the ancients of the Old Testament knew this about Jesus. How? How did they know this about Jesus? By faith, he says. He says to them, you need endurance for the circumstances that are around you, but to endure you need gospel faith. And so let me show you what that means And he draws their attention to the ancients, the old people of the Old Testament. And he says to them, by faith, the people that you know about. Now remember, the the Old Testament to these Christians was the Bible. This is the scripture that they knew. And he says, by faith, the people that you know about did the things that you've read about. They did the things that you've heard about. They did them by faith. Abel and Enoch, and Noah, and now Abraham. They all knew who Abraham was. Who couldn't know who Abraham was? If you were a Hebrew, a Christian, you knew who Abraham was. And he says to them, by faith, Abraham set his gaze on God. 
Now, Abraham looked forward to a number of different things, as we'll see as we go through this passage. But he fixed his eyes on the object of his faith, showing us where the gaze of gospel faith falls. And where does it fall? It falls, for one, upon God who calls his people. It falls upon God who calls his people, and therefore not upon your circumstantial concerns. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Okay, back to that Old Testament reading from Genesis 12. You heard it moments ago. In Genesis 12, we begin the the great story of Abraham in the Old Testament. The Lord said to Abram, was his name at the time, Go. Now, I don't know how the Lord communicated to Abram at the time. I mean, maybe it was a message in the sky or a voice from heaven or a personal visit. God did that with Abraham at times. I don't know. But it's a remarkable call that God gave to Abram. He said to Abram, Leave your country, leave your kindred, leave your father's house. In other words, leave your homeland. Abram, Get up and leave all of the circumstances that are so familiar to you and comfortable for you and go to the land that I will show you. And this remarkable call includes a remarkable promise. And maybe this is what motivated Abraham to get up and go. Who knows? It was a remarkable promise. God said to him, I will make you a nation, Abram. I will bless you, and through you I will bless all the people of the earth. A remarkable promise God made to him. It is the seeds of the gospel, after all. And at 75 years of age, Abram departed from his family, from all the circumstances that he knew. Now, 75 years old sounds Kind of old to us to do something like this. For Abram, it was, it was middle age. If you kind of look back in the scripture, you remember last week we saw how those Old Testament saints lived for so many years. Now the, the effects of the fall are beginning to take shape now with Abram's life. The life expectancy at this point in the Bible is not 600 or 700 years, but rather it's more like 200 or less, which still sounds like a long time to us. But that would make Abram... Well, about like me, middle age. And in middle age, God says to him, go. Now, given that, Abram must have had great concerns about his circumstances. After all, he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know. But why would he go? Because like Noah, evidently, Abram not only believed in God, but he believed God. He believed what God had to say to him. He didn't know where he was going, but he believed God, and so he went. Gospel faith is a way of life that can end up really almost anywhere. You have to recognize that as a Christian. Before we were married, Mary and I, I I told you a little bit pieces of this story before, but Mary and I had some conversations, and, and I told her before we married, I said, you know, I'm, I'm in seminary at this point. I had already 
some years before, told her no when she invited me to homecoming. And now a few years later, I, you know, we had gone off to different cities and I'd gone to seminary and we had been friends for quite some time. I didn't make it easy on her. I, you know, we were, began to, I had, I had come back to her and I had said, you know, we've been friends for a while. Maybe we should be married, so maybe we should date for a little while. I mean, I really didn't make it easy on her, so I don't give people advice on how to date. I, don't, I still don't know how to do it. And so we began to talk about marriage after we dated for a while. And, and I, I was in seminary and I, I said, you know, God might, I don't know where God's going to call me to serve in ministry. He might call me to California. Now, the reason I said that to her was because she's from North Carolina and all of her family is in North Carolina. All of them, except for her. And I said, God might call me to California for all I know. And if that's a deal breaker, then maybe we ought to talk about this more and think about it and maybe we who knows should we get married or not well by faith she did marry me and and we went to st louis now she knew that was coming i was in seminary there already and after a couple of years god called us to macon georgia well that was at least in the right region of the country although neither of us had been there except to drive through on our way to florida which is the case for almost everybody who's been to macon georgia And I worked there as an RUF campus minister for some years. And then in 2006, we both sensed that God was calling us away from that particular ministry. And so I resigned my job without a job to go to by faith and made some phone calls. And after some networking of friends and phone calls and churches and circumstances of what might be out there, We came down to three prospects of churches where God perhaps was calling us to serve. One of them was in Virginia. One of them was right here in Dallas, this church. The other one was in California. So either God has a sense of humor or I'm a prophet. We landed here in Texas. And... Then five years later, again, both of us persuaded that God was calling us out of this particular call and to something else. I resigned without a job. And she said, this is becoming a habit with you. (laughs) And I said, I'm following a call. And now, long story short, we're settled here in Dallas again in this same place. Gospel faith is a way of life that can end up almost anywhere. You have to recognize that. This is what Abram saw. You know, as Americans, we have the American dream. This is just so common for us. And we assume that life is a straight line. That life goes from birth to growing up in Norman Rockwell's neighborhood and then graduating from high school, graduating from college, maybe even grad school, getting a job which develops into a career, marrying someone, settling down, buying a house and cars having children, working towards and saving for retirement, and then riding off into the sunset. That's just the American dream that we imagine and expect as the circumstances that we know. But we design our lives by cultivating our circumstances to fit. But gospel faith does not gaze upon circumstances. How can it not? How how can it call us away from doing that? Well, if Abram was gazing upon God who had called him, he was, as this writer says, looking forward to the city that has foundations, the 
city that God had prepared. Abram's circumstances didn't matter to him because even if he didn't know exactly where he was going in this life, he knew where he was going after this life. Okay, now, so the skeptical mind, the, the, the unbelieving mind, hears this kind of thing and begins to think, oh, okay, Christians in heaven. This is all such a Christian thing. Heaven, this, heaven, that. And sometimes unbelieving hearts scorn heaven, saying, you know, if you're so heavenly minded, then you're just no earthly good. You're no good here if your mind is there all the time. But really the opposite is true. Abram tells us that he could live in tents. He could endure his circumstances because he was awaiting a promise. You know, apart from gospel faith, the best that you can do is simply try to design this life to be like heaven. That's what we do. And it never works. It takes us until middle age or so to begin to figure that out. But it never works. Only your heavenly citizenship will prepare you for your earthly citizenship so that you can take your eyes off of your circumstantial concerns. The gaze of gospel faith falls upon God who not only calls His people, but who also fulfills His promises. And so your faith, your gaze, doesn't fall upon your skeptical doubts. Now, I know that the grammarians out there maybe are bothered by the redundancy of this. Skeptical doubts? What doubts aren't skeptical? And what skeptic doesn't have some doubts? Must you use both of those words? I I know I get it. They're the same thing. But that just serves to reinforce the point. You know, deep down or maybe even often high up on the surface for you, you just don't really believe sometimes that God will keep His promises. Maybe it's because what you expect of Him is what you want. And what He's promised is what you need. By faith, verse 11, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, this writer, looking back on Sarah, Abram's wife, puts her in a really good light here. By faith, Sarah. Now, granted, she had been faithful in a lot of ways. In all accounts, as you look back to the Genesis stories about this, Sarah had been a trooper. I mean, she had... Like my wife, you know, she had had gone along with Abram when he got up to go and leave the comfortable circumstances of his homeland and his family. She went with him. She traveled to the land that they had been told about. She lived in the tents with him, and she even endured his pesky nephew Lot for years. I mean, she had been faithful in many ways, but after a decade or so of anticipating children which she had heard the promise to give, she did what any reasonable woman in her day and age and culture would have done. She offered an alternate route for this. She said to her husband, Abram, Look, you're old, I'm old, God promised us children, 
It's not happening. It's been a decade by now. So I have this servant. Her name is Hagar. She belongs to me. God promised a child from your body, Abram, if you conceive with my servants, then it will be a child from your body. So here's my servant. And they did that, but that's not what God had promised. After another decade, God had the audacity to come and change their names. Maybe you know this story. God came to Abram. It had been 20 plus years by now since the original promise. And God came to Abram and he said, Abram, look, I'm going to change your name. Your name, Abram, means exalted father. Now, that's bad enough. Can you imagine his friends? Oh, you know, your name is exalted father. How many kids? You're 90 years old. Oh, no kids yet? Okay, exalted father, whatever. And God says to this exalted father, he says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means father of nations. Now, imagine the neighbors. Oh, exalted father, you can change your name. That's, that's a good idea. You need to change your name. Oh, to father of nations? Well, that's not a good choice, Abraham. And then God says to Abraham, now, I'm also going to change your wife's name. Sarai was her name, which meant princess, which was fair enough. You know, surely her father loved her, named her princess. What father wouldn't do that? And God says, I'm going to change her name to Sarah, which means something like princess with multitudes of descendants. I mean, imagine the scorn of the neighbors. You know, both these old people, you're naming, you're, you're changing your names to these things. This doesn't make sense, people. You can just imagine their own skeptical doubts. And when God told Abram this, changing your name, do you know what Abram did? He laughed. He laughed. And it wasn't a laugh of joy. Finally, God's going to give me a child. It was a laugh of skeptical doubts. Seriously, Lord, come on. You're going to change my name to Father of Nations. Look, I have Ishmael. You know, remember God, this 12-year-old boy now about, he was born to Hagar, the servant, and he's from my body. Maybe he could just be my heir, Lord. Abram laughed in skeptical doubt. And God said, no, 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 Abraham. Listen, that's not my plan. A year from now... Sarah, your wife, will have a child. And by the way, you should call him Isaac, which means laughter. And then Sarah learned of this plan. And what did she do? She laughed. In the the secrecy of her own tent, as she thought it was secret, she heard the plan and she laughed in her own heart, saying, seriously, Lord, Look, I'm too old for this. Yahweh, have you not paid attention to the age of my husband? He's 99 years old now. I'm pushing nine decades myself. Seriously? I mean, by now, if Sarah had faith, it was heavily veiled by her skeptical doubts. Doubts that were derived from, surely, from wants. Whatever God may have promised, I expect what I want children to validate my very existence on this earth, children to prove to all of my neighbors who scorn my name now that my name is worth something, children to show the world that I matter. This is what I want. Sarah surely was filled with skeptical doubts. 
But even so, even with her skepticism, God commends her. You know, again, this writer puts her in such a good light. But by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah had great faith, evidently. How could God commend her? Well, what had God promised to her? Paul writes a bit of it in Romans chapter 4. He explains some of this. In Romans 4, Paul, the apostle, writes this. He says, The promise to Abram, Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, so that the promise may rest on grace and be granted to all of his offspring. What God had promised was much bigger than the validation of one woman in an ancient culture. What God had promised was redemption for all who believe. Sarah is commended for her faith because she was heir by God's declaration, not by her perfection. You know, maybe your skeptical doubts have gone so deep that your gospel hopes feel oftentimes invalidated and flimsy. Or maybe not having just what you want causes you to doubt that God will come through with all that He's promised. Or maybe, maybe better, you've just forgotten that the moment that you were conceived in your mother's womb, From the very moment another star was counted, another grain of sand was gathered in to the innumerable family, already, already fulfilling the promise of grace. So the gospel faith gaze is upon God who fulfills His promises, even as He also provides what He requires. And because of that, your gaze is not upon your presumptuous worldview. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Okay, now the story gets really sticky, right? Now the story becomes not just famous, but infamous. Abram, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. We all have a certain worldview don't we? We all look through certain lenses at the world and we interpret the world based on our worldview. We, we can't help but to do that. We presume that things should be a certain way. We presume that life should be fair, that pain should be infrequent and little, and that days should be peaceful as we experience them. We presume these things as modern people... We've developed a worldview that presumes many things upon life in a fallen world. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his only son. Now, Genesis 22 is where you read this story there. And it's, again, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. How could it not be? It's so striking. Isaac was born, as had been promised. Sarah did become the mother of a baby boy a year later when Abraham was then 100 years old. And now some more years have passed. Another decade or so has passed. And God commands Abraham, Take your son, 
your only son and offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. I don't even have words to describe that command. I mean, speechless. I can't fathom what Abraham must have felt when he heard those words. Maybe he thought I had too much wine to drink last night and I'm still hearing the wind speak to me in ways that it shouldn't. Maybe he began to wonder if his own doubts had grown so great that he was hearing voices inside his own head. Why would God command him to do such a thing? And yet, Genesis 22 tells us that he did. He didn't question it as far as we know. He simply made preparations. He took two of his servants and a bundle of wood and fire and his son, and they packed some donkeys and began to travel. And after a few days of travel, Abraham saw the mountain in the distance where they were to go, and he said to the servants, The boy and I will go up to worship. You stay here. We will come back. Now, why he said that, again, i got to wonder. We will come back. He told the servants, The two of us are going to go up, and the two of us are going to come back down. But God's already told him, you're going to offer your son as a burnt offering to me. What was Abraham thinking? Maybe he already was looking forward in faith and knew God is going to give me my son back. And so father and son continue up the trail with their pack mules and their wood and the fire. The boy carrying the wood. He's old enough now to carry the wood. And Isaac asks the tough question, Dad, we've got the wood, we've got the fire. I've seen these sacrifices before. I know the deal here. Where's the lamb? And what does Abraham say? Only the thing that a wise father could say, Son, God will provide the lamb for us. They reach the place. Abraham binds his son onto the pile of wood and raises the knife over his son's throat. And God from heaven says, Stop. And in the thicket, there's a ram. Now, you have to recognize from that story that Abraham is not the only man of faith at that moment. Isaac, his son, maybe had greater faith than dad did at that moment. Because Isaac could have run away. I mean, he's 13, 14 years old at this point. Abraham, dad, is 113 If a 13-year-old wants to get away from a 113-year-old, he can. But he didn't. He allowed Dad to put him on the pile. Listen, parents, this is a good little picture for us to recognize with our own kids. Isaac believed his earthly father because his earthly father believed his heavenly father. Isaac had as great a faith as Abraham did at that moment. But still the question persists. This is perplexing to us. Why did God call Abraham to do this? Was it just a cruel act? Was it just the thing that a, that a cruel dictator does to show his manipulative control over the one who's following him? Why did God do this to Abraham and to Isaac? I mean, it would be the skeptical presumption to say this is a cruel thing, wouldn't it? I think there are two reasons for this. 
the one is this. God called Abraham to do this because faith is only a theory until you do something. You know, I can think and talk all day long about how I will love my neighbors and my, my enemies, even and do good for my enemies. But when I have an enemy who requires good of me, it's a whole different story. Faith is only a theory until you do something. Was Abraham's faith in Isaac? Or was Abraham's faith in God who had promised to build nations through Isaac? Faith is only a theory until you do something. That's one reason I think. The second reason I think that God called Abraham to do this is because only, only in this way could Abraham understand what God would have to do to fulfill his promise. Only in this way could Abraham recognize the scope of redemptive history unfolding before his eyes of faith to see what God himself would have to do in order to make good on his promise. You know, in our presumptuous worldview, we presume that if God is good, he won't allow suffering and pain. But then we don't stop to think that if God is powerful enough to not allow suffering and pain, then perhaps he must have a reason for allowing it that we can't possibly see or understand. And then we presume that since there is suffering and pain, that God must not care. He didn't care about Abraham and Isaac. He was just manipulating them. He doesn't care about me and my family. He's just manipulating us. And we presume since there is suffering and pain, God must not care. But we don't stop to think that God does care so much that he entered himself into a world of suffering and pain in order to endure it, to take it on himself for us. What kind of story is this about this testing of Abraham? It's a story that comes around again in Scripture. Abraham could only look forward to it in faith. We look back on it in faith. It comes around again in Scripture. Just as Isaac carried the wood... So Jesus would carry the wood. Just as Isaac was bound to the pile, so Jesus was bound to the cross. Just as Isaac was willing to die, trusting God because his father trusted God, so Jesus was willing to die, trusting the Heavenly Father that redemption was coming. But Isaac was spared. What God requires, He also provides. If you would have gospel faith, where would you set your gaze? You know, you're tempted. You're tempted to pay great attention to your circumstantial concerns, and you have lots of those. But gospel faith sees God who has called you. You're tempted to depend heavily on your skeptical doubts, and and you have them. You have them. Every day you have them. But gospel faith sees God who has fulfilled His promises. And you're tempted 
to lean on your presumptuous worldview, that worldview that seems to make sense in the world in which we live, that worldview that the skeptics on the outside can respect, you, you're tempted to lean on that presumptuous worldview. But gospel faith sees God who provides exactly, exactly what He requires. Whatever it is that you believe, whatever it is, Christian or not Christian, whatever it is that you believe, you have set your gaze. What is it that you see? What is it that you see? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. O Lord, we pray that you would grant to us gospel faith. Would you give us, Lord, eyes to see your good news and to believe. Help us, Lord, to see beyond our own doubts and our own circumstances. Help us, Lord, to see beyond those things that draw our attention away from you and enable us by the work of your Spirit to believe, to believe your good news and to grow in faith and to grow in faithfulness because you are faithful. We pray, Lord, that you would do that in and through us. In Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.